1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
2: There are times in life when you get to really touch a piece of history, and I'm a a huge history fan, in in the idea that this job has afforded us the ability to talk to secret service agents, meet them in person, uh, meet people who fought in World War. Uh, Guys who really were a huge part of the change of not just our military, but the way society views people. Uh, if you've seen the movie, there was a movie called Red Tails. And then there was, of course, the Tuskegee Airmen with Cuba Gooding Jr. And the story was about the segregated military that we had. In fact, we didn't even want pilots. We didn't want black people to be pilots. The military didn't. And then when it was pushed through in the 40s, it, they made it incredibly hard to become proficient and to be accepted. And they were unbelievable. They were had an unbelievable record of escort, the bombers that were going into Germany to defeat Hitler. And then finally, and it took all the way until I think 1948 for President Truman to finally put it into law, that we would not have segregated military. It's But it yeah. this is history. This is history. And maybe I think Victor Butler is the last surviving Tuskegee Airman. He was a, a mechanic and a crew member for the Tuskegee Airmen uh, all the way through. Um, he is here. His son I want to talk to first, though. Gary Butler is with us.
3: Gary, how are you? Good in you this morning.
2: I'm well, sir. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you. We're going to talk to your father here in a moment, coming by with your dad. What was it like growing up with your dad? I mean, being such a, a huge part of history.
3: Um, it's been very quite an experience. Some of it was never spoke about in the beginning because of the way it was. But as as the movie came out, then things became more discussed in our family and we found out more and learned more about my father's history.
2: Yeah, those those guys from that era—they don't talk about their accomplishments. They don't. They never self-aggrandize. They, you know, they just—they thought that was just you accept life on its own terms.
3: Yes. Um, yeah. A lot of things weren't talked about. They had their first fighter fighter competition. And uh, it was won by the Tuskegee, and the trophy was hidden. It was not placed out, it was not displayed, and it was never acknowledged. It was hidden and put away in the basement until 70-some years later, someone's found it and is just being recognized.
2: And, and what did your father do with the Tuskegee Airmen?
3: My father was a mechanic, yes. And there are many, well, there are still not many, but there are still quite a few still alive. I think there's six or seven pilots are still alive. And a few other existing airmen.
2: Where did your father grow up? Where, were he, where was he born?
3: We, in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Okay.
2: And then, of course, he joined the military in, um, did he join in 40?
3: Yes, yes. And he can give you a little bit of better details. That. Yes, he joined in the 40s. He originally was going to go into the Canadian Air Force. Um, because they were accepting minorities and, um, his mom didn't want him to go. And then he went into the Tuskegee.
2: Uh, all right. Well, listen, I'm going to, uh, put you, uh, I'm going to lock you down, Gary, and you're still going to be with us. And yeah. then I'm going to connect your, your father, Victor. Um, of course, I'm, I'm very excited. So I, again, I thank you for this. Let me see if I can make this happen. here. Victor, welcome to the show. My name is Johnny. Yes. How are you? I'm Fine. You are almost one hundred years old. May what is your birth date, Victor? May twenty first. You'll be one hundred years old, and I—I uh, I heard that you're a big fan of birthday cards. What's that? You're a big fan of getting birthday greetings. Yeah. <laughs> you, uh, so I was. Uh, your son is on the line as well, Gary, and yes. he was telling us about you joined the Tuskegee Airmen in 1940. Correct? That's right. What what made you want to join the military? How uh, first, I'm sorry. How old were you when you joined? 18. And what was your reason? Like what drove you to I mean war is a scary and terrible thing and there was a you know amazingly terrible war happening around this world.
4: What made you join? Well, uh, a friend of mine named Fred Hatchman uh we decided, just decided that we'd like to join the Canadian Air Force. And but he joined the Canadian Air Force, but my father wouldn't sign for me. So I joined the American Air Force.
2: And, and how did you end up with the Tuskegee
4: crew? Well, that's where they sent me t- they sent me to Tuskegee, Alabama, and to the Tuskegee Army Air Base.
2: And they were not accepting of uh, having black people in their military at that point, were they? They were. They really. They made it very, very hard on all the Tuskegee airmen in order to uh, to become airmen. That's right. How was how bad was that? I mean, it's you know you see the movies, you Tuskegee airmen and. And you, you try to experience it through those actors' words. But, you know, it's, it was not a movie. It was real. It was really happening to you. Did you, did you ever want
4: to quit? No. Uh, after joining the Air Force, uh, everybody was so friendly. I just, it, I really enjoyed it.
2: Excellent. And so then you guys the Tuskegee Airmen, started to become very accomplished. Eleanor Roosevelt was a large part of that.
4: That's right.
2: So tell me how that happened.
4: Well, I remember her coming to to the base at Tuskegee, but at the time, I believe I was on some kind of duty and didn't get to see her, but I remember her... Flying into the Tuskegee Air Base.
2: And she made a big statement because she went up and flew with a
4: black pilot. Yeah, she sure did.
2: She really did. That's uh, Yeah. That was, I know, that's, you know, the president's wife. And, and you, yep. just, you think that what that really meant to everybody, the message that that sent.
4: That was quite a snobber.
2: Indeed, so then the, the, the legendary uh, escort into Germany. when your guys when the, the pilots would leave you you were a mechanic and a crew member, you know you'd watch those those guys leave and they'd become family to you. They'd become real brothers. and you know sometimes they wouldn't come back. That had to have been amazingly hard. Yeah. You, uh, did you ever fly with them? Did you go up, or were you always on the ground taking care of the crew?
4: No, I went up a few times in the, what they call a piggyback plane. Well, just, just a few times, though, but most of the time I was taking care of the planes. Very
2: good. You, you sound amazing, by the way, Victor. If you're just joining the show... Victor's 99 years old. May 21st, he'll be 100 years old. And uh, you still live on your own, Victor?
4: Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Dude, I love this. What is the secret? Like, listen, we live in a time, you know, that's obviously very divided. And I, I don't think it's ever, hopefully never will be as hard as it was in the 40s. But what was it like to be in the military, to have a love of a country, enough to go to war, to sacrifice and even die? but yet you still hadn't, they hadn't desegregated the military yet.
4: Well, I don't know how to explain that, but uh, I know I went in to to try to serve our country and and, uh, just because I was real interested in it.
2: And, and when you look back on that time, uh, what's the secret to living this life that you have? You have a very fantastic, honored life. You, you broke barriers. You became uh, something that they said couldn't happen. And, and now you're going to be 100 years old. Is there a secret?
4: I I, quite don't, I don't quite understand. No, just how
2: do, you, how do you stay so happy? How do you stay in such a great place?
3: How do stay in such a second grade place? Well, uh, maybe you can help he, me with Gary. He, he, believes in, he believes in God and family and love. And um, those are his strengths that he's passed on to all his kids, as me and my four sisters. And all the grandkids and the grand great-grands were so very proud of him. And that's what he's instilled in us all is to work hard and we can accomplish things whatever we want and keep the faith in in God and be a good person.
2: Well, and and really I think the thing that it's got me so I'm so interested in is uh because it's your father and and you grew up Gary, you know, your your father didn't tell you about the Tuskegee Airmen and until those movies there wasn't a lot of people telling the truth and the real history about Tuskegee Airmen. It was not something that you taught in a normal school like regular school. I never learned about it.
3: No, it was not learned in school, and it's funny because I have a little personal story where when I was younger, I wore his uniforms thinking I was in Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> that's and great. never knew the honor that I had. Right. And I was wearing.
2: Yeah, and he, he was okay with that because, you know, to him, that's. I feel like there's a kind of guy that fought in those world wars that just they just went and did what they had to do, and then they accepted this life, and they and they pushed through, and they just became the best men they could be. Yes. And yeah. when you found out how important your father was to history and the military and the war effort, I mean that had to have been. A, how old were you when you finally came to that realization?
3: Um, probably in my probably in my thirties, I started to learn a little, but really, probably around forty years when I was 40 in my 40s, that's when a lot of it opened up a lot and he really started to speak about a few more things. And you was able to read things and get information because the internet and the explosion, now you could find out some things that were never told to people.
2: Victor, why did you never tell your, your kids about everything that you had done, all the all the important things you'd done with the military?
4: Well, uh... I told my wife about it. (laughs) (laughs) You are great. You are great. uh, I did go to a a few different ceremonies where I explained most of it. Uh, I I received quite a few honors, and I did express my feelings then.
2: Very good. Listen. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful 100th birthday. I'm going to put up your address, the P.O. box, to send you birthday cards to celebrate your 100th birthday on May 21st. And I just, I, uh, I thank you for everything.
4: Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. All
2: right. And, Gary, thank you so much for, for uh, allowing us to speak with your father.
3: Yes, thank you. And um, me and my four sisters and all the rest would like to say thank you also.
2: All right, take care, my friends. I'm going to put you on hold and put you with Jake. Hold on one second. Stay right there. And, Victor, again, thank you, my friend. Happy birthday. Have a wonderful birthday on the 21st. Well, thank you very much. Stay right there. Hold on, Jake. You got it. How about that? What a How fantastic kind, wonderful that, man. man. Yeah, just,
5: and family.
2: Yeah. No, really, absolutely magic, dude. That's, you know, it's funny to try to get a guy to talk like that. Plus, it's hard to the phone when you're 99 years old.
5: It's hard to these phones,
2: period. But, and but. What I wanted to know was like, how do you stay, how do you stay focused, positive, and and still keep your belief system intact when truly they're telling you, you're not even part of our real military. And it was, it was hard. Uh, It was, and I understand that that's the way he grew up. So he was used to, it was a pretty terrible life, but still just the idea that you can, you can hold on to your belief system and it's, and it is greater than the grief that people will put on you. That, that to me is a. is a different kind of human being just better just just better and stronger than we see a lot today
1: worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole well good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are they find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line they are milk expiration date detectives they bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are so let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can
2: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This guy, and Jake turned me on to him years ago, Waiting for Guffman came out and... That with Christopher Guest mockumentaries best in show comes out. A mighty wind comes out and they, they become like your all time favorite movies. And it's a certain kind of comedy and a certain kind of delivery and timing. That it it has to be these this cast of characters, otherwise it just wouldn't work.
6: But like him and Fred Willard, oh my God, Catherine O'Hara, like it's
2: brilliance. Yeah, if you haven't seen him, you've got to. Well, see Well, and it.
6: everything he's in, we you knew him. I mean, we saw him first in the Late Shift, of like course, David Letterman, of course. But then everything he's in, if it's pitch perfect, it doesn't matter what the breakup, it doesn't he, matter what it is, he steals it. it. Yes, man, all of it.
2: And and so for him to make the jump to a game show now in the fifth season, and he's great at it. Yeah, like he's the kind. I, I would watch game shows like this. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the host is everything, man.
6: Born February 28th in Boston, Massachusetts, he is an actor who has turned in scene-stealing performances in such films as Best in Show, A Mighty Wind, The Breakup, Walk Hard, and The Pitch Perfect Movies. You can watch him on the Peacock Network series, Saved by the Bell. And you can see him every weeknight on Game Show Network as the host of America says. Please welcome John Michael Higgins
2: hello mr higgins how are you i'm very well thank you for having me on you uh you do a fantastic job when i first heard that you were doing a game show i was like what are we talking about here because your sense of humor has always struck me as as, is like mine it's off a little it's odd you you really enjoy the absurd so i wasn't sure what it was going to be like but you really you brought your own personality to it like it's you do a great job
7: Oh, thank you. I, I share your opinion. I, I when they asked me to do it, I said I actually looked over my shoulder. I said, "Me? What do you want me for?" <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know how, what I'm going to bring to this party, you know. Uh, but uh, they said, "No, no, we want to. We want whatever it is you do on the screen." So that's why we're hiring. and I was like, "Okay, I'll do it," yeah. you know. And it turned out to work really well, which I would, I think everybody was surprised by, frankly. And uh, we're now in our fifth season. I just finished the fifth season. You can watch it on
2: television. Yeah, and that's, I mean, five seasons and and never hosting a game show. And and this is not like, to me, at least when I think about it, I go, man, how hard is that to go from being an actor and having to get into a character and become that character and make sure that you stay there to it being a completely different thing? Now you're throwing the party. You're not just the actor. You're also the director. You're
7: absolutely right. I, you said it perfectly. It's like I have to throw a party, uh, well, sometimes six times a day. You know, when we shoot these games, you do a bunch in a day. I was, uh, listen, I'm as surprised as you are. So. <laughs> You're great. You.
2: <laughs> You're great. I, uh, I do. by the way, and I, I know it's in the past, but, you know, those movies of Guest uh, were so good, man. Best in Show and Mighty went like so goddamn good.
7: I know. I appreciate it. Thank you. I, you know, they are in the past, but not for a lot of people. I uh, m- mostly when people stop me at the supermarket, it's um, I don't really know whatever it's going to be. I have a lot of product out there yeah, for a yeah. lot of different demographics, but there's a certain type of person. like if I saw you there, I would know right away.
2: <laughs> right. I know.
7: You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just uh, you can tell. You can tell that type of person, and it's like, oh, this is going to be about Chris Guest, you know. So, oh, yeah. well, those, I'm really, yeah,
2: thankful to have been in those movies. Yeah, well, they ruined everything for me in a sense that whenever I go, I go, I, I go to Comic Con, and I go, there should be a Christopher Guest movie with all that same actors. With this, I go to. Uh, it doesn't matter where I go if there's a group of interesting people that are just a little left of center. I always, I always yeah. compare it to those movies, which to me is the hallmark of a, of a fantastic, you know, uh, ability. So now. Oh, I was talking with
7: uh, Chris, guest, uh, uh, many years ago, and, and you know he told me it's like he says I had this idea that we're putting casts together that where everyone was off to the left, as you say, yeah. And then I was like, well, why would that work? Why would how would that cohere? You can't. The only reason you can tell people are off to the left is because you have somebody standing next to them in the center, right. and Then they look crazy. Yeah. But if everybody's off to the left, well, then the center just moves. And then if the center moves, then Chris was thinking, maybe you'll have something special, something just a different type of atmosphere, which is really what you're describing. Yes. Those movies have an unmistakable difference to them. Yeah. And it's because everybody's standing to the left.
2: Yes. Yeah, it's it's my favorite kind of thing. But that's the same thing I think you do, as strange as it sounds, with this American-made, American-played, this, this new show, America Says, or it's five seasons, sorry. And but on the Game Show Network, it's like Family Feud, but what you've got to do is you've got to make, the you know, these are families. So the real, it is, yes, answering at home, but really aren't we getting to meet these families and it's up to you to bring it out in them and to kind of find the fun moments and and focus on those.
4: Yeah, that's it. It's basically the
7: improv skills that I have. Uh, You you just listen very closely to what real people say and and it's going to be funny, period, because, Real people are much funnier than fake people. Yes. And, and, uh, I just, that's my job. I just pull it out of them, you know, and it's not, it's really, uh, it's always surprising to me. I think because it's surprising to me and I allow it to be surprising to me, then it's fun for the audience.
2: Yeah. No, honestly, you make it look cool. And I never thought I would feel that way. You do, you make it look cool.
7: Oh, that is really, really nice of you. I actually, like I said, I I wasn't sure if it was going to work. I just said, you know, my sense of humor is not right down the middle like it is used on most game shows. And I just don't have that type of mind. I'm sorry. And they're like, nope, this is what we want. We want it. Go. Just do whatever you think is right. And I was like, okay. That's great.
2: Look, congratulations on the fifth season. Everybody should watch it. Um, 630, by the way, in Kansas city on game show network here, weeknights, America says, and it's John Michael Higgins, of course, hosting, man. I hope you get to Kansas city for some reason, whether it be a planet comic-con like autograph signing or they tour the show or they take this, uh, you know, game show out in the, out in the world. And maybe they'll do some different cities. I just, uh, I hope you do get to Kansas city cause you're always welcome here. I love Kansas
7: city. And I, I, have been there as a citizen a few, as several times, not, uh, not on business, but, um, I, I love I love your city. It's a great city. And once, as they say, once you've seen Kansas City, you know,
6: yeah. so
7: I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm anxious to get back.
2: Anytime, my friend. Thank you for stopping by today.
7: Appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Take care, man.
6: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. born and raised in Irwin, Pennsylvania. He moved to the West Coast after high school, where he joined the Navy and a life at sea was born. He followed the big money to crab fishing, spending 20 years working his way up to captain, retiring in 2005 to run sport fishing tours in Costa Rica and Mexico. But in 2010, he joined the cast of the popular long-running Discovery reality series Now in its 18th season, Deadliest Catch. Please welcome Captain of the Summer Bay, Wild Bill Wachowski.
2: Captain Bill, how are you? How have you been, man?
8: Doing good. Thanks for having me this morning. Good morning, everybody.
2: Yeah, listen, another season, 18 seasons, and it's pretty amazing, Bill. I mean, you joined, how many seasons have you been on
8: now? I think I came on in six. I don't know. I, I, I should probably know that, but right. I, I came on in season six.
2: Well, hell, man, you were retired. You were out in Costa Rica. You had it made. You were just going to take take it easy. What happened to that?
8: Well, if you remember when uh, the mortgage world changed and a lot of people that had money to have boats in Costa Rica all went away and the job oh, yeah. got a little tighter. And that's right when discovery was peaking and Andy and Jonathan said, hey, dude, if you if there's any way, you should come back and be part of this because I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna blossom. So those guys, they, they drug me. I, I thought I was away, and they drug me back in. Right. Yeah, I'm glad I did.
2: Well, I mean, and by the way, how did those guys meet you? You weren't looking for that gig, right? They just met you. Just they were on vacation.
8: Um, actually, I've fished for forty some years, so I've known all <laughs> those guys forever. Uh, oh. Forever, and it, it's just a certain amount of boats are on the show, and it's just you know I, I have an interesting i think i have an interesting story and yeah um we got together with the producers and here we go
2: well listen i think people like you bill because you you remind us of the guys we grew up with the 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 last of the of the genuine guys that die uh, you know you go to work when you got to go to work you don't cry about stuff you get the job done and then afterwards you can do what you want to do but there's no it, we, we live in a world of, of people who are looking for a safe space and they're super worried about their feelings and they have no concept of what it's like to almost die on the deck of a boat.
8: Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know what I would do different. People would say, you know what, you know, if you could retire now, what would you do? Could you see me selling appliances? I'd be like, lady, make up your damn mind. You're <laughs> going to buy this thing or nothing. <laughs> I don't think it would work. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Dude, I, I worked for guys back when, you know, I started doing rough in, uh work, you know, and building houses and stuff. And it would never have occurred to me to be like, hey, look, I don't feel good when you talk to me like that. Like, dude, they said <laughs> stuff to you that I'd never even heard at that point in my life. I'm like, what are you talking? Why are you like, but you learned in some weird way, man, you end up loving guys like that. Because, you know, that same guy, Chuck, he taught me how to build houses. He took me as from a laborer as a little grunt kid and paid me and then eventually did teach me how to build a house, how to frame it.
8: That's, uh, the trades are where it's at anymore. You know how many people have that four-year degree or even beyond that that don't have a job to justify it. You know, it's working hard, getting paid, and living living life is the way to be.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it, man. And by the way, I also know you're a big NASCAR fan. Who's your guy now?
8: Well, it was Dale forever. Sure. You know? It's. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many races I was honored to shove him in the car, standing there with the family, and you know, spend a couple few weekends, ten or twelve at his house and had a good time with him and that's great. You know, it's Clint I then I kinda of switched to Clint. Now he too too, you know, it's yeah. Clint's a he's a great guy. He he jumped the fence one time just to shake my hand and he jumped the fence. He was heading to his car. It was like he's a character.
2: Dude yes. he boyer cool. and you are absolutely cut from the same cloth. That kid grew up in Emporia learning how to race Put his back into it. He lives life every single day as hard as he possibly can, and he is—he's just one of those. He's never worried about looking cool. He just does what makes him happy.
8: Yeah, hes, he's a good egg. Truex is—you uh, know—his his family. They're—they got a big big spot in Florida. There, they—they they have a good time. They like to fish. I've, I've got to know them pretty well. That's a—that's a good bunch of folks there.
2: Yeah, can we both agree? Denny Hamlin's a, a bitchy pussy.
8: No comment. <laughs> I just went through an HR meeting. I just went through an HR meeting. <laughs> I can't do it. All
2: right, listen, Hey, uh, man, you got to get to Kansas, man, for uh, for a Speedway race. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever made it all the way to this track, but uh, it is a, a bit away for you and a little bit of travel. But man, you get to the Midwest, you're certainly welcome to come hang here. Uh,
8: it'd be be awesome. You know, I my biggest year, I did sixteen races in one year, which was uh, pretty amazing. That but is. Since the pandemic slowed down, but they're coming to Charlotte here, I think, in the end of end of May. So if, if you're just yeah, trying to make, make it show, up see that.
2: Yes. Captain Bill Wachowski is with us. Now, we could talk NASCAR and stock cars all day. We also got to talk about the show, Deadliest Catch, Tuesday, 7 o'clock on Discovery. But, Dude these these days are different. We were talking about some of the clips that we were listening to like how, you know, when you first got into it and you were green, you know, you got punched in the face by the deck guy, you know, because you you you, you decided to run your mouth and you and he just went, "Well, this is how it's going to go." And he didn't even make a big production out of it. He just he was coiling he was coiling rope, right?
8: Yeah, there's no HR meeting there. Yeah. Uh, I was going as fast as I thought any human could possibly go and I was probably half speed now that I realized what was going on. And he just kept giving me a hard time, giving me a hard time, and I confronted him, and he was coiling. We didn't even have a coiler. It was all hand coil. And he turned around and popped me in the forehead, and I hit the deck, and he didn't miss a beat. He kept coiling. And he, he just looked <laughs> over his shoulder and said, you never talk back to the deck, boss. You don't get away with that stuff anymore.
2: <laughs> no. no it, well, and the thing was, and I don't know how you reacted to it, but when I was coming up— it, I wasn't even mad at guys like that after after the initial anger of that day. Sometimes you'd just be a couple of days in and then realize, you know what, that dude's not mad. And he and I, I had that same kind of an issue with a guy, and he actually, he wasn't even mad. It was just the natural reaction, making sure you understood, and then moving through it.
8: I mean, in the 70s and 80s, it was not uncommon to be in two or three fistfights in the bar. And then either they would help you up or you'd help them up, and then you'd go have a beer and... Most times you either became lifelong buddies, or you didn't. But I mean, yeah. Yeah. that's just the way it was. It's nothing like the world is today.
2: No, and then so as as time moves on, and you guys are out, you know, fishing, like it does get what's what's worrisome. Like, what's going to happen to you guys? Like, as they change the the regulations for fishing and, and stuff, you know, are you worried about the future?
8: Oh, I'm a, I'm almost ready to wrap. You know, I I'm hoping Discovery goes for twenty. We're yeah. season eighteen. They keep raising the bar, and they—they're they, doing. I mean, the visuals and the sounds and the storyline. I do not they are amazing at what they do. They I are. Honestly, think we'll—we'll we'll make twenty. And people love the show, and it's opened so many doors for me, both charity and honestly, me doing fun stuff like NASCAR. That's a byproduct of uh, sure. having the show. Dale, you know, he—he he liked the show, and he brought me into a circle for a while, and I got to meet a ton of great people.
2: It's the same thing with this radio deal. Like it just, you're, I'm glad to have it. I love the job, but the things it's afforded me—meeting people, and making friends, and doing stuff you'd never get to do—that's the, that's the, the priceless stuff.
8: Yeah, it's indescribable. It's so. Uh, you make. You know, we a- were in. Uh, the girlfriend and I were in Nashville this week, past week, and it was amazing the number of people that watched the show. You know, it's, those are a good, good, bunch of good hillbillies there. It was fun.
2: Yeah, you. Uh, you get to Sturgis at all?
8: You know, I, I have horses. I don't have a bike. Yeah, well, I can't keep four wheels on the ground, let alone
2: two. <laughs> Your first car is what, a 66 Lincoln? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that. you know, that's, and I, I know we got to wrap it, but that was my, my absolute dream car. Uh, all black, suicide door 66. Absolutely, that's the one I've always wanted. And not a, not a uh, everybody always wants a convertible. I want a hard top.
8: Yeah, mine was baby blue. The paint was about a half inch thick on it. It was
2: beautiful. Uh, All right, listen. They're they're killing me over here because I know that you got to go and you got a lot of stuff going. But uh, anytime, Bill, you're you're always welcome here. I
8: appreciate you guys. You're you're awesome. All right, brother. thank you, man.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?